Welcome to the Productivity Mastery Podcast, presented to you by myself, Stoyan Yankov, Productivity and Performance Coach, Keynote and TEDx Speaker, and co-author of the Perform Methodology, and the book, Perform, The Unsexy Truth About Startup Success. Join me on a journey to discover what some of the world's leading professionals do to be more productive, create peak performing teams, and build successful global companies. New episodes weekly. And now, enjoy today's episode. Here we go. Boom. We're live. Love this. We are live. We are live. And it's always good to be live with the fellow podcaster because they have a good microphone. They dress appropriately. Set up. Yes. Set up. Uh, we're not so... wearing, we're, neither of us are wearing pants. It's all good, right? Nobody knows. That's perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Productivity Mastery. If you haven't subscribed yet, you can go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, subscribe. This is episode 158. And I have the feeling this is going to be one of the most important episodes to you ah. because we're going to talk about sales. And sales is something everybody needs to learn to be good at. And let's start from there, Walker. Why should people be good at sales? It's a great question. I think the reason people should be good at sales is because life is sales and sales is life, right? What that means is you want to get people to buy into your ideas. You want people to follow you where you're going. Maybe you have a restaurant that you like very much. Would it be great if you get other people to go with you? And that even that is sales and to get your kids to do something that is sales to um, everything we do in life involves sharing ideas and trying to bring other people into our life and to bring ideas. So um, I think sales is one of the most important things and it's a natural part. The good news is if we're really not trying to sell something, we probably do it better than if you think of yourself as a salesperson. How did sales enter your life, Walker? Did you, did you stumble upon it? Was it by accident or was it intentional? I got into it for all the wrong reasons. I got into sales because my friends said, my friends and other people said, you're be a natural salesperson which I've learned is code for you talk too damn much and you're pushy. So I got into sales because I was a natural salesperson. And for 10 years as a natural salesperson, I sucked at it. Um, I wasn't effective. I took things very personally. Um, I talked too damn much. I was pushy and I made it all about me. And um, so I, that the message I got and how I delivered things out of the world was, was terrible. And as I think back about it, I'm embarrassed. I'm glad it was 25 years ago. So maybe most people won't remember. So just give us a bit of a context, how long you've been in sales and what have you done? Just so the audience sure. is aware yeah, and then yeah, we can yeah. dig so into I, more practical. Initially out of college, I, um, I worked for a bank um, and my job was to go out and, and loan people money. And so I would go out and try and sell money, which should be really easy. But I, you know, I, I did okay, but I wasn't very, wasn't better than anybody else, right? People need to borrow money. They borrow money for me, but it wasn't because of anything that I had done. Um, and then I left that because I was such a superstar. The bank was holding me back. I went and got in the commercial real estate business because that's where the big money would be. And I knew I would be just an ace at that. And so for eight or nine years. I had some good years, but usually I was right in the middle of the pack, if not the bottom middle of the pack. Um, I was very frustrated and none of it was my fault. 
Um, oh. And the in interesting part to me was I got to, it was nine or 10 years in the business and a friend of mine hired a sales coach. I'd never even heard of a sales coach before. And um, I knew that he'd wasted his money. My friend had. And so I went to go talk to this sales coach to tell him I was on to him and that he had ripped my friend off. And um, true story, swear to God, what an arrogant son of a bitch that I was, right? And so I go and I meet with this sales coach and I tell him that. And I said, I think you've ripped my friend off. He's a, you know, he's a good dude. He knows a lot of people. He can talk to anybody. He's great in sales. I can't imagine what you could do to help him. Well, about 30 minutes later, um, the guy asked me, you know, well, actually about 10 minutes later, the guy said, you're in commercial real estate. You must be making a million bucks a year. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. He said, well, why not? I mean, half a million dollars, right? I'm like, no, 250. And I was like, I'm not yet. And he says, why not? I said, well, because, because the economy sucks, because we're in this town, Columbia, South Carolina, nobody does a lot of that stuff here. And, and because my boss is kind of an asshole. And, and you know, it's funny, he let me go on for about two minutes and I filled up the time with all these reasons. And all of a sudden I look up and he says, suppose I told you I thought those were excuses. And I was like, and he said, where else in your life are you making excuses, Walker? And it was like he took a freaking knife and rammed it through me. And I was like, holy shit. And it brought me to my knees. And I realized, I mean, everything kind of cracked around me. And I think I cried. <laughs> and, and I ended up writing him a check to hire him myself to help me when I went over there to kind of expose him or, you know, expose him, you know, whatever. And, um, and my check bounced because I was such a loser. And so anyway, he kept me anyway. And um, as I started working with him, um, all of a sudden I was like, holy shit, have I been missing the boat? Holy shit. And so at that point, um, I was there about six or eight weeks. And I said, you know, this is amazing what I'm learning, what I'm seeing that I had no idea what this sales thing was about. He taught me a process and the psychology of sales. And he said, well, you said you were going to start your own company in seven or eight years, so you can always do that. And I was like, seven or eight years? Bullshit. And I pulled a ripcord and went out on my own six weeks later with no, no clients, no business, no nothing. But I wanted to make sure I would never make an excuse again and blame the people I was working for, for my problems. I knew I had to own this. And the only way to do that was to get out in the world and do it on my own. And um, anyway, that was a wonderful it was a great move for me. I think I grew up that day. and I grew up the day that he called me out on the excuses. All of a sudden, I became an adult because before then, I was a child and nothing was my fault. And I can't imagine what a pain in the ass I was to be around because nothing stuck to me, right? It couldn't have been my fault. Um, so anyway, I went to, um, I worked for myself for a couple of years and I just basically, I hugged the legs of my sales coach and I called him every day and we talked about different things I was working on. I'm a business crew and one day he called me and he said, how about come work with me? I want to grow my mm. business. I hate to throw you off, but of what you're doing, because I'm doing really well. It's awesome. And um, I created this commercial real estate business and advisory service where I like to work with buyers who wanted to buy a property and, um, and I would help them. And the first four or five months I did that, I chased a lot of people, but didn't close much business. And he said to me, he asked me how I was doing it. And I told him, and he said, why don't you charge for your service? I said, well, nobody pays for this. It's, it's in the industry where you do this part for free. You show people when they buy, you get paid. He goes, so that's what everybody does. Yeah, he goes, why the hell are you doing that? I was like, hmm. He said, why would you not charge somebody to be your client? I was like, okay, I'll try. And so 
Long story short, I had a client who had asked me to help her find a piece of property uh, for a spa that she had. We had put two pieces of property in her contract before, and they'd fallen apart. One, because um, she um, got nervous about spending the money. And the second time was because her competitor was going across the street. And so she called me a third time about helping her. And I said, hey, look, I've changed my business model. Um, I charge $5,000 to do da-da-da-da. And, um, and she said, well, thanks. I just don't think I can spend that. And all of a sudden, I realized if she wasn't going to spend $5,000 to hire me, how in the world was she going to spend a million dollars to buy a piece of property? If she wasn't that committed, there's always going to be a reason. And um, somebody, a broker, a friend of mine, called me about a week later and said, hey, so-and-so, call me. I know you've been working with her for a long time. Why don't we work this together since you really understand? Which is unbelievable. That never happens in our business. And, um, and I said, you know what? Thanks. You can have it. You work with her. It's all yours. Six years later, she ended up buying a building on her own. She bought it directly without a broker. I'm so glad. And so that started me realizing I need to do things differently. If I do things the same way as everybody else, I'll be treated the same way. And what I found was by charging up front, the people who said that would never work were my competitors. And the people that said, I'm not doing that, I was like, that's fine. And the people that did hire me all of a sudden would refer me the sale was made. They'd already hired me. So I had a completely different relationship with my buyer than other people who were selling commercial real estate. I was not selling commercial real estate. I was advising people on buying it. And they'd already hired me to do it. So that was a big win for me and a mindset change. And then my mentor called and said, how about come work with me? You've done this. You know how to do it. I want to grow my business. I need somebody like you. And I was like, you know what? That sounds like fun. So once again, I pull the ripcord, I walk away from that business, and I start in the sales coaching business. And for three years, I sucked at that too. It's harder. Just because I knew how to do it didn't mean I knew how to sell it. And I won't say three years, but at least a year I struggled because it took a whole different mindset. You had this, have you ever struggled with this, Stoyan, where you had um, imposter syndrome, where for you sure, felt man. like, you know, you mm. got a new title? And you don't feel like you own that title. And I felt for a year like I was a commercial real estate guy who was acting like a sales coach. And even though I'd referred a ton of business to this guy, I didn't see myself in that role. And so mm. it took me a long time, quite frankly, a lot of failing to begin to understand what it was like. And then soon it caught on, right? I recognized I just didn't quite have it. And it was up to me to figure it out. And so, so was it was it the was it the experience that you gained in trying failing trying failing and and then started to gain some momentum that shifted your mindset about the way you see yourself yes and it was the what i believe is that failure is one of our best excuse me can be our best teacher it isn't always but it should be I, one of the guys that i um i love his name is steve sims he's an, he's an author he's a speaker and he said one of the he said nobody drowns from falling in the water you drown from failing to get out and so failure happens it's what do you do next that matters right and so each time as i begin to take ownership okay i screwed up that sales call i haven't figured out how to do this that's my favorite words that i've learned is i haven't figured out how to that's how i try to avoid making excuses is that I've used the words, I haven't figured out how to yet, right? So I hadn't figured out how to, I mean, I had some success, but I wasn't making the numbers that I expected. 
And so I had to get comfortable with my own skin. I had to recognize, I didn't even know that what he did was a business before I met him, right? I didn't know. And so it was a mind shift for me. And um, anyway, we went on for nine or 10 or 11 years. We made lots of money together. We had lots of fun. It was one of those, quite frankly, it was one of those mail it in jobs where people were coming to me and it was fun. It was easy and we we're making lots of money, but I'd let our relationship fall apart. And I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't do what it took to keep our relationship going. And I was miserable at work and I, it sucked. And I've, um, and I went to go have lunch with a client one day. I went to go have lunch with a client one day and he said, um, and I wasn't going to tell him anything, but I'd made a decision to leave. And my client looked at me and said, you look like shit, which is a great greeting by the way, because you'll understand somebody's truth really fast. And so I was like, Oh, I'm miserable with my job. I got to do something else. I don't know what to do. We're not getting along. And, you know, as I said, it's 50% my fault. It's 50% his fault. I don't know what to do. And I'll look up and my clients give me the stop sign. I said, what? He said, it's 100% your fault. I was like, shit. Why, why that? I believe you, but why? And he said, because if you say it's 50% somebody else's fault, you'll always be mad at the wrong person. Ooh. Shit. I was like, damn it. Where'd you learn that? He goes, from you. Damn it. Right. So, so anyway, I reckon, and, but the cool part about that was when I recognized that. And once again, I had one of those moments, I was able to go to my partner and say, my business partner and say, honestly, I am so sorry. I have screwed this up. I've messed, I've let things go. I, the only way to, that I can fix this is for me to leave. This is your business. I need to leave. And I could say that with all sincerity, fall on my sword with all sincerity and say, I need to take care of this. This is my problem. And so I was able to leave and maintain a relationship with him, mm. which was important to me. So, I mean, are we best buds and hang out in the backyard? No. But do I respect him? Yes. If I see him on the street, we're very cordial and we respect each other. And that's, that was important to me. And I was able to live my to be truthful about that. And that all that brought a lot of peace to me and it's helped me throughout my career. It's just, and that's where the name of my business came from. There's no BS, right? There's so much BS between people and so much BS in sales. Mm. By the way, I told my mother that it stands for no bad salespeople. Um, but you can, whatever the hell it means. Otherwise it's fine. No, for sure, man. We actually have a question and, and I just want to remind everybody who's uh, listening live, go to the mainstream on LinkedIn, and if you have a question, post your question. The first question is coming from uh, uh, Nicoletta. So Nicoletta is asking, Walker, what was the biggest obstacle you encountered when starting your sales business? You know, that's a great question. One of the things that, um, you know, when you start your own business, the good news is you can do anything you want. And the bad news is you can do anything you want. And the hard part was figuring out where did I want to focus? Who are the people I wanted to go after? What was my business? How is it going to grow? And my initial idea was to just have a program for individuals who paid themselves and make it low enough price that anybody who was motivated, who wanted to be better at sales could afford it. And we would do it online so that anybody for anywhere could do it and we could scale it infinitely. Um, and that I thought we could go to a thousand people and it would be awesome. And the reality was I got to about 40 um, and we kind of flattened out there. And I was like, okay. And, and I struggled there for a while. And then one of my clients called and said, do you ever work with companies on their own? 
I was like, I hadn't thought about that, dumbass. I used to do that, but I hadn't thought about that. And so I was like, well, uh, I could. And so all of a sudden I got a corporate client and then I got another corporate client. I was like, huh, okay. And so now it's just been figuring out where am I? The hardest part was going from I need to make money to I need to do the things that bring me joy and bring me energy and to focus on the right people and the right clients. But that wasn't immediate because I had to make money. Um, I had to bring money in the door. We had this, to. This is, by the way, by the way, this is a, this is a, I want to stop you here. This is a very important question for, for the founders listening as well, entrepreneurs. Um, so sometimes you're clear who do you want to serve, but it will take some time, right? And you need to yes. finance yourself on the way. So, so how do you actually find the, find the right balance, right? Because you, you got to keep going. Hard. It's hard. Right. And I tell people, you know, it's, I tell people, look, you, we need to focus on who are your ideal prospects. We've got stories about that, about how to figure that out. But sometimes when you're getting started, your ideal prospect is somebody who will give you money, <laughs> right? And, and that's the reality. And, and you've got to get money coming to the door. For me, when we did this, I just built a house about three years before. It was exactly what I had designed and dreamed of. My wife and I loved it and our kids. And when I started this job, I had to sell the house and moved to a rental house about a third of the size. And my family was pissed off. And um, my wife had to go get a job and all these, it sucked uh, for us. And I drugged them through so much, but I was fully committed to the job and my family became fully committed. I had to make a choice between pull my kids out of private school or selling the house that we loved. And I wanted to keep my kids in the school, um, selling the house, keeping the house would have been protect my ego. And I didn't need that. Um, but protecting my kids was more important. So that was a choice yeah. that I made among other sacrifices. And you know what? It sucked, but that was the firestorm I had to go through and get through. And I know that right now, if I lost everything tomorrow and they dropped me and I got dropped in some country with no idea what the hell to do, but maybe there was some English spoken, I know I could start over and win. And I, I want I everybody who's listening, I want everybody who's listening now to, to, to pay attention carefully some of you are afraid to make a move and you're in your 20s and you have nothing to worry about this gentleman here he had a family he had a great house that they loved and even though that was the case he had the courage to say no this is the right thing to do i will suffer in the short term maybe in the midterm but i'm willing to do whatever it takes to go where I believe I should be. Yeah. And, and maybe now is the time. Like, this is commitment, man. I'm, first of all, I'm proud of you. Thank you for sharing. I Thank think many you. people can sure. relate. But, but I also want to kind of, maybe it's a good time for us to, to lean into the, the four mindsets of no BS sales. And if yeah. you can share the mindsets and then we can unpack it from there. Sure. Uh, once again, everybody listening, if you have any questions to Walker, make sure to post it in the comments. Great. Go ahead, Walker. So, so the four mindsets that I, my clients have to buy into in order to be successful, right? And to, to follow my program, to follow the system that we teach. The first one is you have to recognize you're not the right fit for everybody. You're not going to be the right. Not everybody's going to be a good prospect for you. Even if somebody comes to you and says, I'd like to buy, they may not be the right fit for you. We've got to be particular about who we take on because the wrong client even if they pay you a lot of money, can suck the damn life out of you. I also want you in that same mindset is not everybody deserves a proposal. Just because somebody says, send me a proposal or whatever, I want you to know it's okay to say, no thanks. 
I think your business is better defined by the people you tell no to than the ones that you accept. Um, and understand that that can be a luxury and yet maybe you have to get to a certain place, but even if you're starting out and somebody's the wrong fit, screw up the courage. If they're an, if they're an asshole, if they don't fit what you're trying to do, if they want you to do stuff that's not in your core competency that you would take you away, be comfortable saying no thanks. And I promise in the long run, that will be the right thing. Right. Mindset number two is ask don't tell. Salespeople, a lot of times they think their job is to educate the prospect on everything that they're doing. Educate the prospect to make them smart so they'll understand why they should hire you. I would tell you that is exactly opposite of what you should be doing. I want your job to be asking questions to understand your prospect's point of view, understand their opinions about their current situation. Every salesperson has taught you, got to ask the right questions. You got to ask the right questions. So that's a, that's a mantra. And I, I wondered when I was in sales early on, what are the right questions? What are they? Right. And I never could figure that out. And well, I didn't figure that out. And finally I realized that even that was the wrong question. The right question is what do I need to learn? What is it that I need to learn from this prospect to understand if they're going to be the right fit for me and what I do? And what I learned about that was even just because somebody had a problem I could solve didn't necessarily mean that solving that priority was that solving that problem was a priority for them. And so what matters is that you get your prospects opinions about their current situation. And if you figure out that that current problem impacts them directly, right? And they're able to shit, not that you believe that, but they tell you that and there are processes and questions you can go through to get there. But if it impacts them personally, you have a much better chance of having a committed customer who will work with you to buy what you have and work through and solve whatever problems they have. But if they're not committed to solve it, or if you're more committed to solve it than they are, get out. You're wasting your time. You're wasting their time. And by the way, that's a little tip I'll throw you. Don't ever use the words my time ever in sales. And when you say, I don't want to waste my time, you sound like a jackass. Instead, I want you to say instead, I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste your time. It means the same thing and you don't sound like a jackass. Here's another point. Some people will say, well, I said I don't want to waste my time or your time. Don't say my time. You'll sound like a jackass. It means the same thing to say. I don't want to waste your time, right? So be very wary of that. Number three, we have equal business stature with every single person we meet with. You are the same. I tell people if you are um, get a paycheck or working for a job where you're going to get a paycheck and you're paying rent or a mortgage somewhere, you're the same as Bill Gates, for example. Everybody by their first name. No more Mr. And Mrs. As soon as somebody, it's funny, somebody calls me and says, oh, Mr. McKay, I know I'm dealing with a chump. Don't be a chump, right? Don't be a joker. Call people by their first name. Shows respect both ways. You have just as much right to walk away as they do. Understand most people are so afraid a prospect's going to tell them no. They're so afraid of that. And here's what I want you to say. No, no should be your second favorite word. It is mine. I'd rather hear no in the first call than waiting working with somebody for, you know, calling somebody for six months and then hearing no. Crazy, right? If you have a solid pipeline, 
If you have plenty, if you looked at your calendar and you had five or eight or 10 meetings with people that'd be great to have as clients coming up and one starting to act like a jackass or you don't hear what you need to hear, I want you to be able to say, hey, listen, I appreciate it. I don't think I'm gonna be the right one to help you. I don't think it makes sense. And be willing to walk away, even if that scares the hell out of you. How do right. we shift? Like, I want to stay on the third mindset for a second. I know yeah. we, can, we can go afterwards, but how do we shift this mindset? Because, because I think, um, I've seen it many times. I've been there. Sometimes I'm still there. Perhaps, like you, really want to win this deal, or for the founders, for the startups listening, yeah. you, know, you want to get this investment, which is kind of the same, right? Pitching to investors. Yes, hundred percent. I'm here. The 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 customer or the the investor is here. Me, 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 I need you, I need this. Like you, you just show up with this attitude. And of course, you're not when you're not in an equal place, yeah. right? It's a, a lot harder to, to get a good deal. How do we show up? So it's so right, it's hard. But I want you to so it begins with um, here's one of my favorite phrases that I try and use on a regular basis. Some will, some won't, so what? Who's the next person I need to be talking to? Some will, some won't. So what? Who's the next person I need to be talking to? And what I want you, what I like to do there is if you're needy, your chances of closing a deal go down. They don't go up. Being needy, showing that you're needy, being emotionally involved in a sale. If you're emotionally involved, you automatically go into react mode instead of proactive. And as soon as you become needy, you lose respect for your prospect. You lose all leverage to negotiate and people are often, they don't want to tell you no because they feel sorry for you. Rarely is anybody going to hire you because they feel sorry for you and they certainly won't do it on even and good terms, right? People don't want to hire people they feel sorry for. Nobody wants a needy founder or a needy salesperson. Know that you have exactly the same value on the planet as the person across the table from you at all times. And that there's somebody else that you should be talking to if this one isn't the right fit. So is it easy to believe that? No, but just begin to say to yourself, some will buy, some won't. So what? Who's the next one I need to be talking to? Keep your emotions out of it. Emotions, your emotions have no place in a sale. It's never about us and what we need. It's about the prospect. So that's, that's how I process it. What, what do you do personally to maybe in early stages of your career, I don't know, yeah. maybe, maybe still you do it, but what do you do to fill yourself with abundance? And I mean, practically, what do you do? Yeah. Do you yeah. kind of remind yourself about the, the value that you provide? Like, yeah. what do you do to... So the first know? thing I do is this. The first thing I believe, you know, you can say all the positive, you know, I'm a great guy and everybody loves me and it, I don't need more friends. And that's fine. Those things we say to ourselves, I believe that the thing that makes us the most brave is when we have um, a strong pipeline. We have lots of people coming up that we're going to be talking to. And that's where we have, because we're like, oh, he could just buy from somebody else. He can just invest with somebody else. Well, look, if you can, and I'm not saying this is easy, but if you will work like hell to set up meetings with people, conversations with people who can work with you. And if you've got four, five, six, seven, eight lined up and one isn't working, you can say to yourself, it's okay. I've got other people I can talk to right? It's a behavior will make you strong. It's the calls that you make and the meetings that you set. 
I don't care if you have no technique at all. If you don't, if you just suck, if you just say the worst things, but you make the phone calls, set the meetings, go to networking events, set meetings and have people you're meeting with, you'll close sales and that will build your um, belief. Now, if you've got good technique too, that makes it even better. Some people focus all on the technique, but they never make the damn calls. And then they'll blame everybody else for why they're not doing better in sales. The behavior that you do will build the strength that you need to actually get out of your comfort zone, right? And to be able to walk away. But I try, I tell my, and again, easy to say, hard to do. Net sales is never about you. It's never about you. Somebody says, no, it's not personal. And I want you to go in believing if this person doesn't buy for me, it's not personal for me or for them. It's not personal. And so they don't mean it's, they're not, here's the thing. Um, I just thought about this. A lot of people go to sales to make friends. I got lots of friends. You're, you should go into sales. You can make more friends. And the problem with making friends in sales is a lot of times if you're worried about somebody being your friend, you can't tell them the truth. And you're afraid to push back when they're asking, you know, when they're, when they don't sound like they're the right thing. And it's hard to be skeptical. I think we should be skeptical that every single one of our people that call us is really going to be a fit. And we have to go into our meetings thinking, does this really make sense? And being honest and open about that. I don't know if I can help you or not. And so, but if you have, if you're worried about being somebody's friend, you can be afraid to tell them no. And then when they do tell you no, you feel like you've lost a friend. It's personal. I know this because I live this life and it's horrible. It's horrible. And then you blame the other person for being an asshole because they don't want to be your friend. It's ridiculous. But it's what happens. Does that make sense? So what's, what's mindset number four? Number five. Number four. Number four. Be the guide and not the hero. There's a book called Story Brand that many of you, I hope you will read. It's a great book. It's a guy named Donald, Donald Miller. Miller, yeah. Miller. Miller. Look him up. Look up Story Brand. He's great. If you're listening, Donald, hey, yeah, man, great Give book. us a shout great out. Book. Yeah. Send us a <laughs> thumbs up. Great book. Love that. Donald's got lots of customers. But he talks about how um, people relate to stories. Of course they do, right? How important stories are. And we see ourselves as characters and stories as we go through life. And often ourselves as the hero or the center of attention. In sales, however, well, if you think about, and if you know this, pardon me for a second, but like in most stories, there's a hero who's the guy at the beginning of the story who has a problem and he sets out to solve it. And, um, and there's sometimes there is a guide, which is the, somebody who's older and wiser who doesn't want the credit, but whispers in their ear to share with them what they should do. Right. And then the hero can then be the hero. And a lot of people go into sales to become the hero because they want to come back and ring the bell and make the sale. And they do that and they're the hero and that feels so good. But the problem with that is the opposite. When that doesn't happen, you are by definition the loser. And so nobody wants to be a loser. So what do we do if we want to be the hero and not the loser? We chase people too long. We don't take no for an answer. We become pushy. It becomes personal. And we're going to call that guy until he buys from us, right? You're being an asshole, a stalker. But if you look at it like this, if you think about the first three things we talked about, right? We're not the right fit for everybody. We're going to ask and not tell. We have equal business stature, just as much right to walk away or to say yes as the other person does. All of a sudden, if we think about sales as not being about us, what I want to do is a guide can choose who they work with. 
a hero has to save everybody. Superman's got to save everybody, right? He's got to stop the building from crushing everybody. A guide picks who they work with. Um, a guide is able to figure out, um, you know, how can I make my prospect, if they hire me, they need to be the hero. I want them to succeed. And the way this really struck me, I go to Maine, the state uh, in the northern United States, way up in the North Woods, um, to go fly fishing every year with three buddies. Been doing it for 18 years. And the first year we went, we had a fishing guy named Gary, who was a character. He was amazing. But he, we met him the first time. He said, "All right, tomorrow we're going fishing. Uh, we're going to fish hard for the next four days. And y'all get ready. Let's go. We're going to meet at 8:30. We're going to go out and catch fish." And and Gary was hilarious. But when you, he would say, "All right, let's." If you casted and you missed a fish that came to the fly, he would say, what the hell's wrong with you? How dare you? I can't believe you did that. You're ruining my numbers. And if you catch, if he says, hey, cast over there and you do catch a fish, he goes, see, I told you. It was all about Gary, right? And we would, we would fish from 8.30 in the morning till 8.30 at night. Our arms were just worn out by the end of the time. Gary, we fished with Gary for two years. It was fun. We had a good time. The third year, we fished with a guy named Pete. We met him the first day. Pete says, I haven't met you guys before. He says, let's sit down and have a conversation. He goes, do y'all like fishing um, rivers more or ponds? And we're like, there are rivers up here? Gary told us there weren't any rivers. He goes, oh, no, there are lots of rivers. Gary just doesn't like fishing rivers. Shit. How do y'all like to fish? Are y'all y'all more like you know, y'all like to fish all day? Or are you more kind of like, get me home by half the hour. Let's have a couple of drinks while we're fishing. We're like, oh, definitely second group. He's like, okay, good. And then he says, you want to catch a lot of fish that are probably smaller or you want to catch some big ones, you know, a fewer fish, but bigger ones. We're like, you know, probably some combinations is be here for a couple of days. Let's, let's do both. And he goes, okay, great. And all of a sudden it's like, holy shit. Right. He made it about us. And when, when I'd go fishing with Pete, he would say, um, if I missed a fish, he goes, it's cool. There are more left. It's cool. You can do this next time. And then if I catch a fish, he goes, way to go. That's awesome. He made it about me. And so I thought, why can't sales be that way too? Why can't we be particular about who we work with, make sure that they're aligned with us, make sure we understand what they're trying to achieve and then help them achieve it so they can be the hero. And that to me, that makes sales a much to me, it makes it make more sense. It feels to me like it aligns more with my values. And the people that I want to work with are people whose values are aligned the same way. And so that's one of the things I love about being on your podcast and other podcasts is I want somebody, there'll be plenty of people that listen to me and go, that's bullshit. That guy's full of crap. That doesn't work. And that's fine. I don't want to work with those people. I want to work with those people that are listening going, hell yes, that's what I think. Right. And that's the value story of you inviting me on this podcast and me next week inviting you on mine is we can share our philosophies and many people will hate it. And you know what? You won't give a shit and I won't give a shit. What we're trying to do is resonate with those people that align with us. Does that make sense? And, and, and that's, and that's the reason I wanted to, you to come to the podcast. We, we get maybe 10, 20 requests every week from super credible people that want to be on the podcast. I don't care. Like I want people who have the, the right kind of intention. I mean, from the first time we met, by the way, shout out to Rob Napoli, another guest. Yes, in the podcast. thank you, Rob. Us, Rob. Yes, <laughs> Thanks for the bear. For the, the, bear. bear. <laughs> the bear from New York. Uh, but <laughs> thank you, Rob, from, for introducing us. But but it, I just feel that 
you want a gift first, man. Like you're not here to let me share 20% of my strategies and then no. you have to pay for my product. Like, no, no man. Like, yeah. I mean, let's let's come here and if you can make it about the people and this is the reason if anybody have a question, please guys post the question. Right. Like, you know, yeah. how, how can we make it more interesting to you, the listener? Uh, and that's why I'm very, very excited to have you here. And and thank you so much for sharing already so much. Oh, dude. I have 77 more questions at least. Bring it on. <laughs> Bring it on. Give, but, give uh, my best. But I, you know, you know what, what I want to talk about? You, you mentioned a couple of types, excuses uh, yeah. and limitations. And, and I want to hear because you, you have like over 25 years of experience. You, you've been seeing so many people, yourself included, but so many yeah. salespeople, founders, managers, yeah. Or just people who probably need to sell a product, but they keep on saying excuses, telling excuses. Yeah. What are some yeah. of the main excuses people have uh, yeah. that they use not to start selling? Yeah. So, so there are several, I believe that we, excuses kind of can come and, and maybe it's more, but I just picture in three parts. And one is excuses about ourselves our self-limitations. I don't know enough to call that person. I'm not good enough to call that person. That person would never call me back, right? The other is we make excuses about our company. Oh, my company sucks. It's in a disarray. Or I'm not prepared for that kind of a prospect yet, so I can't call on them. Or our prices are too high. You know, nobody's going to buy from us. Our competition keeps stealing all our stuff. And then there, um, then there are excuses about the marketplace where they say, oh, we don't, there are not enough people out here. They're not enough. You know, everybody else is already working with these folks. Nobody's going to leave. You know, they're working with ABC company. They're never going to leave to come talk to us. And so... Your ego. I'm a big fan of Ryan Holiday. Mm. Ryan Holiday's written a bunch of books about the stoic mindset. And one of them, this my favorite, is called Ego is the Enemy. And your ego is this thing in your, in your head, right, that is, it wants to protect itself. And it never wants to be embarrassed. It never wants to um, lose face. It never wants to fail, right? Well, guess what? Life is full of failing and embarrassment. The only way you grow, right, is to make yourself uncomfortable. The ego does not want to be uncomfortable. So your ego says things like, you know, you don't need to call any more people. You shouldn't go into sales because you're too good for that. You, you know, you're not in sales. I hear this from professionals all the time. Oh, we're not in sales. We're lawyers. Oh, really? So you don't have to go get new business, right? Or we, you know, I'm not a salesperson, right? So, but you got married, you had to sell your spouse, um, you know, there's something there, right? Um, some people will spend a lot of time trying getting ready to get ready. Oh, I had picked up a new client the other day, he's a commercial real estate guy, and he said, Um, I said, How many calls? He's been in the business about a month, brand damn new. And I said, Um, how many calls he made? He goes, Well, you know, I've been doing a lot of research and I'm getting I'm trying to figure out who I need to call. And da, da, da. I'm like, when are you gonna start? He goes, you know, probably in a month or two when I'm ready. I'm like, you will never be ready. Our web page is not ready yet. We don't have the, the new web page. Yeah. <laughs> right. Our web page or our, we don't have our stuff in place. And I got to tell you, when I first started selling shit, I didn't have anything. I didn't, honestly, the reason I started a video program was I didn't have the money to have a classroom. I dumb, I started using Zoom seven years ago when I used to have to spell it for people. It did, nobody ever heard of it, or maybe it was five years ago. Nobody had heard of the damn thing. And so, I mean, I didn't know about that. I, so, I sold my first three clients and they said, when's our first class? I'm like, Thursday. And they said, where do we go? I said, I'll call you back later on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
you know, and then somebody calls it, can you do person? Can you do corporate training? I was like, absolutely. How are you going to do that? I, I'll get back to you. Right. We're going to start next Tuesday. And so we figure it out. And, and here's what I, I, I've fucked up a lot of things. I've made a lot of mistakes. I have done, you know, there's plenty of things I look back and, and my friends tease me about. They're like, can you believe one of my first classes? I didn't know how to use zoom. Um, I didn't know how to have a writing pad on zoom. So I was using a whiteboard behind me, like some moron like this. Actually, it's a, a, um, a pad. Do you write on right? And my pad on a tripod collapsed during the class. What a moron, <laughs> right? I mean, what a Bush league thing, but you know what? I, that was all I knew to do. I had, you set it up, you set a trap for yourself and you go. You do and with what you have, man. Yeah. You do with what fail. you have. I'm gonna fail. Those of you listening, those of you listening, the founders, the tech founders, the entrepreneurs that are there and saying, oh, our product is not ready. I can't call customers. Oh my God. Don't wait until it's ready. I mean, the software business, especially y'all sell shit all the time that doesn't work. You know that people pay you what we'll just fix it along the way. Got to be honest. I'm a big fan of that. I think it has to be that way. If you wait till it's perfect, you're going to build something nobody wants. You don't know what people want. I love the book Lean Startup. That's what it talks about is hell, just minimum viable product. Get that out, the, get that out and then begin to build what people are asking you for. I had a, a buddy here in town who spent three years building some kind of HR software product and it was perfect and nobody bought it. Nobody. Bless his heart. Yeah. He's, it sucked, right? They don't need it. it wasn't they don't need it. Don't yeah, because, need because it. Because they never, they never ask anybody if they need it. They're assuming right. in their head, oh my God, we're going to build the fastest blah, blah, blah. Uh, With all these cares things. About the, anybody cares about the fastest blah, blah, blah? Maybe, maybe you want to ask uh, 20, 30, 50, 100 people, speak to them, show them, get feedback, get advice. By the way, yes. what's your thoughts on that? Um, calling prospects to ask for feedback and advice. 100%. Well, here's the thing. I, I, um, I believe that you can show your product to people and get feedback. I think if we give stuff away for free, people don't pay attention to it. So if you have a software product and somebody wants to do a trial, here's what I would tell you. Do not do a free trial. Do not. Because half the time when you do a free trial, they won't even turn the damn thing on. However, if you say, happy to do this, I can let you use it for a month. We charge $500 to set it up at the end of the month. If you don't like it, we'll pull the plug. But if you say, hey, here's a free trial, you can use it for a month. Nobody's, I might say nobody, but the vast majority of people go, sure, fine. There's no commitment, no obligation. They haven't taken any thought to it. And it'll always be that thing that's off the side they'll get to at some point. But if there's some money in the game, and I don't care if it's $500, $5,000, $500,000, depends on what you're selling. It's got to be some skin in the game for them. Nobody this is the funniest thing. Your opinions don't matter until somebody's hired you. Nobody gives a shit what you think until somebody's already hired you, which is why salespeople who want to blah, 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 who want to go tell them this is the best thing. This is great. You're going to love it. All people are hearing is bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. And what you need to be doing is saying, 
would something like this work? How? How do you see it working? What, what, what are the things that would need to have? What do we want to make sure it doesn't have? What is a problem? You know, what are the problems you're dealing with right now? And then dig deeper and see, right? I have a million problems, by the way, maybe more than that, if I really counted. But there's only, I've only got so much time, bandwidth, interest, money, give a shit, to fix a couple at a time. And so if we're selling somebody something that is not in their top couple of priorities or trying to, and they can't find a way to make it a priority, you're wasting your time. You're wasting their time. Our job is to discover. Our job is to learn and, when, and help somebody figure out, do they really want this thing? Do they need this thing? Does this solve something they're committed to solve? Or is it just some other thing that they're going to put on the shelf and never use? And if that's the case and they're not going to pay you for it, why are you wasting their time? There are people out there who, there are people out there right now who need your help, who don't know you exist. And that to me is the hope. There's somebody out there right now scratching their head saying, I need, I can't believe we hadn't been able to figure this thing out. And the joy to me is, and their phone rings and it's you on the other end of the phone, right? And you're saying to them, Hey, you probably have no interest in this, but we've got this product that does A, B, and C. Any chance you want to have a conversation about that? Right? Any chance? We work with people that typically are frustrated with this. They're upset with that. They're worried about this. I don't know. Any of those things, any of those things ringing a bell with you? We have a right to be skeptical that they don't because 90, you know, majority of people cannot make a priority out of what you do. I know that in my heart, I could help every single person on the planet with sales if they gave a shit. I know I can. The shit I have will help anybody. However, I know 99.9 to infinity don't care. Mm. They, aren't, they aren't committed. And so I'd be wasting my time to try and sell this to everybody. I want to find those people who align with me, whose problems are personal to them and they're committed to fix them. And we work together with people like that, magic happens. And that's, that's by the way, what I want to bring the conversation into. Um, by the way, anybody who's listening, who wants to bring somebody on board to motivate your people, to, to shift the mindset of people so they can start selling and, and actually helping clients and building relationships, make sure to get in touch with Walker. So, and, and people like Walker that can, can really support you and your team. I would want to ask you, Walker, what would be your recommendation to, no, we talk about excuses, right? But, but actually, there's many people out there, managers, founders, um, executives that, yes. that are really good in selling themselves. Like yes. they're, they're really good in going out there selling, but their teams are struggling with all these mindsets yeah. and excuses. And they yep. maybe have the skill. They maybe have the skill. Yeah. But they're struggling to pick up the phone, pick up the yeah. laptop yeah. and start to actually reach out. Like, what yeah. is your recommendation to these sure. people so they can That's easy. get their teams? Mm. Yeah. So first of all, let me clear up something. I do not do motivation. If somebody's not motivated to get better, I won't be able to help them. That's got to come from my clients. A lot of trainers do this cheesy rah-rah, jump up and down. You can walk through fire bullshit. I don't do that because I don't think that stuff sticks. I think motivation has to be internal. You've got to have goals that you're passionate about, that you're willing to work for. So for these managers out there that, and, and I will always tell you, if you're the owner of the company, if you're the founder, you will always be the best salesperson. If you're not the best 
salesperson. You need to be. How about that? But you'll always have more passion for the product, right? You need to be the best salesperson in the company. You're going to have the natural passion for that. Even the tech hire, founder, even in, like I just wanted to see, like, because many people are listening now, even the people who are more tech oriented founders, right? They should also be the, the best salesperson. That's what they you're need saying. to be the chief sales officer. Maybe they're not making cold calls, but they need to be the one. If the salesperson brings them in, they can come and close the deal and not screw it up. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you're a founder and you know nothing about sales and what you say is I'm going to hire some salespeople to do this shit for me because I hate it. You're setting yourselves up for failure because your best salespeople will leave. They won't hang around and then they'll go compete with you if they've learned everything they learned from you. So but if you are great at sales, know that probably because of your passion and because of your knowledge, that's going to be the case. There will be never anybody else who will sell like you. A lot of founders, a lot of People start coming to say, just do what I do. You have to understand your people can't do what you do because they're not you. What we teach people is a repeatable process that they can follow that will help them get to the truth quickly. What I recommend to a founder and you know, people have, I think people that have great sales skills that won't pick up the phone are worthless. I think they're below worthless because maybe the best sale they ever made was getting a, a high salary from you. Maybe that's the best sale and the last sale they'll ever make, right? Is getting a whatever, $200,000 base salary and they never sell anything else. What I would tell you is you need to have your people, you need to manage their behavior, the outbound stuff they're doing to, to get new business. How many calls are they making? Mm -hmm. How many meetings are they setting? How many networking events are they going to where they come home with two or more people that they can talk about business with the next 48 hours? What I want you to do is have an expectation, especially when somebody's starting, you need to know these numbers, how many calls they should be making in a week. And if somebody's starting with no book of business, I mean, I don't know, every business is different, but somebody ought to easily be able to make, I don't know, Depends on your business. Let's call it 50 to 100 outbound calls a week. Every single week, they need to be doing some sort of networking. Again, I'm giving a, a boilerplate thing here. Maybe the numbers right, don't make right. sense. But if you're somebody who is in sales and you're living off of company leads, the best you'll ever do is slightly less than mediocre. Your best salespeople will be people who can go out and get their own new business. And those are the ones that are hard to hire and they're a pain in the ass to manage. But those are the ones that will make you rich. And so you want to find those people that will do behavior on a regular basis and you help them when they get started. Here's what I expect from you. I expect you to do this behavior, this behavior, this behavior. If all you're managing is how many things they've sold, you're losing. What happens is you don't know why that happened. And maybe somebody's been underperforming, underperforming, underperforming. And all of a sudden, one month, one quarter, one year, they have a blowout. You go, that's great. Congratulations. Do it again. And what they've learned was, shit, I hope my phone rings again. I hope that bluebird lands and I get this huge deal because I could not control it. What I know is if you're out doing prospecting behavior, whatever that is for your business, calls, meetings, door knocks, social media reach outs, all those things, not just marketing, but actually selling, reaching out. Those are the folks, if you manage the behavior, they will succeed. If they're not doing behavior, you've got nothing to manage. Manage forward-looking metrics, which are the what they're the inputs they're doing to bring business in the door. If you do that, 
and they're still not getting business, then you can start working on their skills. Then you can start working on their mindsets. But if they're not doing the behavior, you don't know where it is. It's like send somebody to the gym and they walk around and leave and they do that for a month. They say, nothing happened. Well, shit, what were you doing while you're in there? If you're going to do this, you need to have a plan. You need to follow it. And every single week and hold yourself accountable and you need to hold them accountable. By the way, that is not micromanagement. That is management. Mm. But by the way, by the way, this is this is such a good point, and I just want you, if you can emphasize on that a little bit, is uh, is, and now that you're speaking, I'm reflecting, and I'm sure I've done this mistake myself. Like you talk about, have. you don't want to micromanage, so you hire somebody, and you're extremely busy as a founder, as an entrepreneur, that you're like, you're like, hey, here's the metrics. If you ever get to the metrics, this is what uh, are we on the same page? Yes, okay, go ahead. If you need me, call me. It's like yes, but. They don't know your industry, maybe. They don't Correct. know how you do things. You need to spend the time to walk with them, to show them how you do it, to give them feedback so you can create space and time to... Yes. To, and, and, and that's, unless I think, what many people are struggling yeah. with. People are like, oh, we just want to hire somebody who's self-motivated, who can manage themselves, who wants to mm. make all the money they can. And I will tell you, there are lots of us out there, but we start our own companies. We're your competitors, right? There... If, Every single salesperson, the great salespeople love accountability. They love accountability because they want to do better. The shitty salespeople will quit. What do you want to have happen? If somebody hates accountability, there's your sign. What I like to help, what I like to help managers with and owners with, when you hire a salesperson, say, let's talk about what's important to you. What is a goal that you have that if you make X amount of money, you'll be able to do that if you fall below that, you won't, right? And so somebody says, I want to redo my kitchen or I want to take my family on a vacation or I want to, I had a client that wanted to send um, missionaries to Russia at $15,000 a piece. He's already sending three, but he wanted to send 10. That was what drove him. He had needed to make another $300,000 in his world to make that happen. He was making 600 grand already. Right. But this is what he wanted to do. And that was his driving motivation. So we said, all right, for you to do that, how many sales do you have to make? What kind of volume do you have to do? Right. We had to create a plan. Where do you need what needs to happen? And then from there, all right, to get 15 new clients at this amount of volume, how many calls do you need to make? How many meetings do you need to set? Right. And so we have them work at their own metrics. We can test them every week, see how they're going. But then when you manage, when you meet with them to manage, say, how are we doing? How are we doing towards your goal of getting the missionaries to Russia? How are we going? How's it going? Right. And if somebody isn't doing the behavior that they said they were going to do that you agreed upon, you can say, OK, tell me what's is this no longer important to you? Are you no longer committed to make this happen? Right. I think it's a great thing to say to them, let's pretend you come to me the first time or again, and you haven't done the work you're supposed to do to get what you want to have happen. How should I handle it? What should I do? And then let's pretend it happens a second time. What should I do then? And then a third time. And usually by the third time, they'll say, you should fire my ass and say, well, I'd hate to have to do that. <laughs> But let's do that. If that's important to you, and this is the vehicle which you want to get there, I'd be irresponsible not to help you get there. And I'd, honestly, if you help a salesperson get to the goals they're trying to get, they'll never leave you. They will never leave. If you help them get to the goals they set for themselves and then beat them, they'll never leave. You'll be their hero.
and you can be theirs. I mean, Love they'll be that. yours, right? So it's all about, it's never about me. It's always about the other person, helping them get what they want. And if you can do that, shit, things are so fun. That's where, that's where really things start to hum. And, and just to wrap up kind of this uh, super packed with value discussion, I would love to, if you can maybe give us a bit of an overview from your observation, the past, let's say 24, 36 months, what yeah. do you see are the trends out there when it comes to B2B sales? What are the most effective ways to reach decision makers? Let's say, mm. did anything change? And, and, and how do you see the industry at the moment? Um, business is good. There's plenty of business out there. There always has been. Things shift a lot. Um, I think one of the things the pandemic brought was um, people are obviously working more remotely, um, which I think in many ways is a good thing. I think more people have their cell phones published. I think more. I think it's very accepted for us to call people, to text people, to call people. Um, people are busy. Yes, I think when you leave a voice message. By the way, I believe in leaving voice messages, also very, very short voice messages. Don't tell your life story and why you're calling. Short, quick. Hey, um, Stoyan, Walker McKay, had a couple of business questions for you. You mind giving me a call back? 803-917-2817. Short, concise, to the point. Don't give all your information away. People don't have a reason to call you back. Um, I think that... Um, Personal connections are more important than ever. I, I use LinkedIn a lot for direct messages to reach out to people to see if they're open to have a conversation with me. Um, by the way, I don't do that when I link with somebody. I don't immediately pound them for a sale. I might send them information about something. I might send them an article. Uh, maybe I've sent them something I've done. And then at some point I might say, hey, does it make sense for us to have a conversation? And if the answer mm -hmm. is no, that's completely cool with me. Um, there is a lot more marketing that's happening um, and I think marketing is good. I think we need to make sure, though, that we don't confuse marketing and sales. Marketing is what we do to have people be warmed up to us, right, to build familiarity and context. But sales is what happens when you get face-to-face -face or over the video call or over the phone. And that's what we need to be good at. You can spend a billion dollars on marketing, but if you can't close a deal, what the hell are you doing? Does that make sense? Do you have, do you have any, do you have any uh, recommendations, suggestions for... I mean, you said the last few years, the number of meetings you have to do online is increasing, right? Like yeah. used to yep. be, we, we're yep. used to sitting in, in a coffee shop, having lunch, yeah. having a dinner. And, and it's a different dynamic, right? You go for a walk, you like, it's a different way of connecting with the prospect. Yes. What are some recommendations in terms of Zoom calls or Teams calls? Yeah. So I, when the pandemic first hit, a lot of my clients said, Nobody will buy over the video. That, that's ridiculous. Nobody's, my clients would never buy over video. They're, they're old or whatever. I'm like, your old clients are FaceTiming with their grandkids. That's a bullshit excuse, right? So the first thing is to, to treat it like as it is not as good as face-to-face. -face. But if it's what you got, it's what you got. And I think you just need to be as personal as you can to help people to manage their expectations, to ask or to say, hey, do you have 60 minutes for this call? What were you hoping we could talk about today? Here's what I want to talk about today. Are you okay mm. if we figure out this today, whether or not we're going to do this today? If you can start your calls out with that, and I don't care if that's face-to-face, -face, every video, over the telephone, that's a way 
to manage expectations, to cut through the bullshit, to have real conversations with people. And that's what people are longing for. Nobody wants to be sold, but people like to buy. Nobody wants to be convinced, but they like to make decisions. And so we've got to reverse the high pressure bullshit. It's all about me. Let me show you my 72 slide deck. Hold your questions for the end. That's the old days. That's where people now you're wasting people's time. No, but I love that you said that, that it's not so much different, like, but the, the things that matter even more is you probably send an agenda and say, these are the things that yes. I want to discuss and send in materials and, and everything yes. is prepared. You, you join the call, maybe you chit chat for a couple of minutes, you crack a joke, and then you just get to the point, you lead the conversation because your prospect is busy, right? They, they have a lot of things to do, but you can't convey this level of professionalism as you can in person, right? So you have to, you have to be, but it's the best you got. And here's the thing. I I may send an agenda, but I would ask my, I mean, what I want to do on on the phone, either when I set the meeting up or there is Mm. tell me what you want to make sure we cover in this time. Mm. Mm. Because I don't want to have them. Yeah. Cause I, why would I guess? I mean, I'm often wrong. Maybe the stuff that I think is important isn't important to them. I want to find out what's important to somebody else. That's what makes you different. I was once, I was once at a, at a meeting and, and I didn't really talk about it, but I met this guy at a networking event. He's like, oh man, we guys, I used to be a video producer. You guys yeah. are making these amazing videos. Let's meet up. So we met up. I spent 95% asking questions. At the end, yeah. I sold him a workshop on time management. Nothing yes. to do with the video. Nothing, like, right. Isn't it's that just, funny? It's just like, yeah, it's like I'm assuming oh, I came with all this kind of, I was prepared, right? All these videos I can yes. sell. Like, I'll show him these examples and, and pricing and proposal. It's like, but we never got there because, he didn't give because a shit. the guy was like, oh, you're making, by the way, we have these people. It's like, boom, boom, man. And that's what I'm Don't excited to have you on them. my podcast. I'm excited <laughs> to have you on my podcast. We're going to talk about time management for salespeople and how important that is and the strategies for doing that. So, Next week, when you and I get together on the No BS Sales School podcast, um, we're going to talk about your ideas about time management for salespeople. And I'm really excited about that because we all suck at uh, that. Everybody who's, uh, who's uh, loving this podcast, Productivity Mastery, first of all, you got to go and check it out. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, but you should also go check out No BS School podcast with Walker McKay, Yay. ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. <laughs> hey, you know what? I have a, um, I have a meeting I have to... Uh, anyway, um, let's go. So um, thank you so much, Stoya. You guys are wonderful. Please give him five stars on his <laughs> podcast. Write a review. Share this with somebody that needs to hear it. Um, this is great. Thank you so much for having me on here. Thanks so much, Walker. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure to subscribe to my monthly newsletter by visiting stoyaniankov.com and also learn about the PERFORM methodology and the PERFORM book, as well as our various personal and team coaching offers. Stay tuned and keep performing.